0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
1: Thanks for hitting play. Welcome to the very first full episode of The Come Up, a podcast that holds space for honest conversations about the reality of being a growing artist in the entertainment industry today. If you don't know me, my name is Matt, and everything that I do is in an effort to tap into people's light. I'm recording this intro on Wednesday, July 31st, and this morning we got news that legendary theater producer and director Hal Prince passed away. I'm sharing this with you because one of my very close friends has been Hal's assistant for the past three years, and I can think of no better way to honor Hal than by sharing my conversation with my friend Ben Holtzman. Ben is someone who inspires me, plain and simple. He's passionate, he's smart, he's creative, and I think that you're going to learn a lot from hearing about his experiences and what led him to start a career in producing. Full disclosure, I recorded this conversation in February and released it on my own personal podcast back in March. And that was all before the come up even existed. So what I'm doing now is migrating some of those episodes onto this podcast. And I am so grateful that Ben was willing to sit down and talk with me so candidly about his life, the state of the theater, social media, what he's learned from Hal, and what he's finding it takes to live a creative and fulfilling life in New York City. I hope that you're remembering to breathe and trusting as best you can that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Thank you again for being here and for being you. Here is my conversation with Ben Holtzman. <music>
0: just good material and good material always speaks for itself i think that that's like what i've learned the most in my job is like that if the material is good like the rest will fall
1: into place the way that it's supposed to okay but also don't you feel like there has to be like some semblance of um it has to be organized well
0: yeah yeah it does, but I think that that's like in... You mean the material organized well or the production? The production. Yeah, but I think that maybe this is like super trusting of me to say, but I really believe that like the good stuff falls into the right hands a lot of the time or falls into the hands it's meant to be in, and those people build the teams. I mean, I can't, I can't really think of a show that I've ever seen that I watched the whole show and like, this is brilliant. This whole show is brilliant, but... All of everything about it is wrong. You know what I mean? I've never experienced that, so I think that when the show is really good, it's just really good. And you feel that way about? Yeah, I do. I do. I don't. I don't sit at any moment in the show, and I'm like, what is happening right now? You know? And I think that that unfortunately
1: does happen a lot in a lot of things that I see. Mm -hmm. Like consistency is important. Yeah. I. I I mean, I do think something that to me has been very profound is watching um the 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 family aspect of this yeah. thing well they're pushing that hard too, but and, but it's real, it's real yeah like and and I guess the the thing I keep taking away and the- key, thing I keep saying to people is I'm like, this is the way you should and are gonna have to do it moving forward, yeah, and that's how i've i mean
0: that's how I always want to create for the rest of my life. And that's how Hal created it for his whole life. He was literally making shows with his best friends. That's what it was. Really? Him and Steve Sondheim are best friends. He was the best man at his wedding. Like literally, oh, I didn't know that. they're just best best friends. And they'd be like, "I have this crazy idea. You want to do this?" And they would a year later, the show is on Broadway. Like it was. That's how it happened.
1: But did you know that before all of the experiences that you've had? Did I know that that's how it should be done? Yes.
0: Um. No, but I think that everything that I've done in my creative life has like been by those standards. Like I work with, I love working with my people Yeah, you do. and I love like creating a community. I mean, that's what range is. It's a community of artists that we all collaborate together and inspire each other and support each other. And it just like makes everything so much more meaningful and it makes the work better. It does. Have you, I mean,
1: it definitely does. It definitely is because you feel safe and everybody feels free. And it's fun. It should always be fun. It should always be motherfucking fun. Hal always says that. He's like, if I'm not having fun, I know it's not good. Yo, that is so powerful. Yeah. That is huge. It's huge. It's huge. Um, Were you in situations as a young person that were of that energy?
0: Um, yeah, I think so. I grew up and I went to Frenchwoods my whole life. And right, that sort of energy is everywhere there. Yeah. And I went there for 12 years, like the girl 12, summer. Every 12, year. 12 yeah, camp years. We love. Camp girl. We, we love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel like that's where I really started learning about community. And then in high school, I started doing like community theater on Long Island. And, like, that group of people who I'm still friends with, like, we would put on shows together all the time. Like, we took acting class at the community theater, which is hilarious. <laughs> but the guy who ran it would, like, let me, like, stage numbers. And I would, like, bring in group numbers uh, and, like, teach, like, make up my own uh. shit. And kind of just, like, make stuff with my friends. And then at college, I mean, that's where it really, I guess, sunk in. And that's, like, my group of people. So that's your,
1: that's your like, squad. yeah. So um,
0: that was really special to find there.
1: Always theater always from a, yeah, like from a, as a
0: kid? No, I didn't even know. I mean, I took piano for since I was 5. My mom like made me and my brother take piano lessons and I played drums from when I was 9 till oh, I was like 15. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like music was always everywhere. Okay. And I went to French from when I was 7, but I didn't know that it was a theater camp. What? My brother went there because he was a musician, and they do music there, too. Oh, I didn't know that. And I went up to visit when I was seven years old on visiting day to see my brother, and I refused to leave. I would not leave the premises. My parents had to drive home to Long Island and pack my stuff and drive back. I, like, would not leave the premises. What? (laughs) I, like, would not leave. So I stayed there for the rest of the summer, and I was seven years old at sleepaway camp, and I Which is not normal. Like normally no, you'd be like the nine. Young, I was the youngest camper for sure. And I was in the same bunk Boys 1A, which is like for the youngest kids yeah. for three years. Yeah, in of a row. course. Um, and I my first year, my like things that I took were like swimming lessons, rock climbing, and horseback riding. And the counselors like encouraged you to audition for the show because whatever. So I auditioned and I was in a made-up... It was, I guess, a made-up play of Oh, the Places You'll Go. Great. And I was, like, thing number two. (sighs) And I had to wear, like, this red, like, unitard. And I was a gymnast when I was little, so I, like, tumbled. And I guess I was just hooked. But I was, like, really, really not good for a long time. Really? Yeah. I, like, could not sing. And then one day it just, like, clicked when I was, like, 15. You're like, oh, I can sing now. And everyone, (laughs) everyone... from my Long Island community theater remembers the story. It was like they were doing Children of Eden and I was like, I'm going to be Cain," And everyone was like, okay, sure, sure, sure. And like no <laughs> chance that Ben can sing that at all. And I was like, oh no, I'm going to do it. And I had just started voice lessons so I was I was like figuring my shit out okay. and my voice was had just changed so it was like whatever. And I can't remember the moment it happened for me but in that callback, they had everyone sitting in the room for callbacks like you do at a community theater. Yep, of course. And... I, like, did Lost in the Wilderness, and, like, everyone was, like, gagged. (laughs) They're like, okay. They're like, where did that come from? So it just, like, clicked, and then my parents started to take me seriously
1: about it. Were you seeing theater as a kid?
0: Yeah, always. Okay. Since I was four, like, the Broadway shows. Okay, so
1: you were seeing theater.
0: Yeah, and I was always, music was everywhere, and, like, yeah, but I never, I wanted to be an architect. I didn't really think about theater. (laughs) An architect? Yeah. Why? Don't know, I was it, always... That was I, just the thing. Still am obsessed with, like, home design and, like, building. I watch HGTV religiously. We die. Yeah, it's everything.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Um. When did you realize, oh, this is a thing
0: I can pursue? Like, in high school, kind of around that time okay. of Children of Eden. Children of Eden, girl. <laughs> I loved Children of Eden in high school so, so much. That was the one. Everything. And the vocal arrangements, too, are wild. incredible. Yeah, wild. Well, it, that show
1: deserves more to be seen again
0: yeah it's just like it's just so religious you know yeah and I think it's hard for like people to like get behind that hey but, but people score, love Jesus Christ Superstar that's true but that feels like not as like heartfelt religious it's that's like true. rocker <laughs> religious <laughs> right yeah and like Children of Eden you're like playing the scene of Noah's Ark right it's it's, it's a little harder to get a behind a little on the nose
1: <laughs> um did you know in high school that you wanted to go to college for musical theater? Yeah, I figured that
0: out like when I was fifteen. Tenth okay. grade. And I was obsessed with it. Really? Oh yeah. Like my parents didn't know anything about the schools. I like did all the research. I was crazy about it in a bad way. Tell me. I just like was obsessive and I like thought I had to go to a certain place and like I only applied to the top ten best schools, whatever that is. And it was just crazy. I was like so intense and I made my mom or my dad fly. I flew to every school to audition. I didn't do any unifies because I oh was superstitious about it all. <laughs> You're like, I got to be in the room <laughs> exactly, at the school. Exactly. Um, that was just intense. And looking back on that, I was like, wow. My priorities were so wrong. And I totally thought that Syracuse was going to be the wrong place for me. I was like, I'll go for a year and transfer. Yeah, I want to talk about this because – did, so when you, did you get, where did you get in? I got in, so I applied to 10 schools and I got into Boco and in Syracuse. And they were the last two schools. I'd gotten rejected at the first eight. And people were like worried about me because everyone knew how crazy well, I was. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like,
1: was that emotionally hard for you? Awful. Because yeah.
0: I think it was like a combination of like people telling you like, oh, you're going to get in there for sure. And like my own ego. And it was... I really expected that I was going to get in everywhere, which is so foolish thinking now. But I had a big ego at that age, and I was, like, crushed.
1: And I guess the 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 deeper question then is, was it because you felt like, unless I go to X, Y, or Z, then I can't have success?
0: Yeah, I think so. And I also think that, like, that was when, like, YouTube and things were starting to get big. Yeah. And I, like... I saw, like, those communities that some of those schools were creating on YouTube, and I was like, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. Which also, like, in a weird way, I think, like, twists back to where I am now. Like, I was, like, fascinated in that sort of community that they were creating yep. there. Like, I saw that group of people, and I was like, I want to be in that crew. I want to, like, find connections like that and create things like that. So I think that's probably
1: where it came from. Yeah cuz you it's funny that you like you 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 look at a community like that from the outside and you're like I want to be a part of that yeah, but they re- look like you,
0: the cool kids. Right but you
1: end up realizing you actually just have to kind of like build your own yeah. community yeah. to have that rather than like trying to fit in with the cool like sit at the cool kids table.
0: Absolutely. And that's like something that I think I sometimes still need to remind myself. Me too. Because You, like, see what other, I mean, it's awful, but you see on social media what other people are doing and you get jealous because, like, you do. Mm -hmm. And then you, like, start to doubt, like, what you have going on but then I've actually had to do this a lot in the last couple of weeks. Just like check back in. I'm like, oh no, you actually have
1: the best community in the world. Like why would you ever want to be with anyone else? Truly. I mean, and I think that I really do believe that, like, with my whole heart, like that.
0: And it's so important in New York. It's so, so, so important. I always say that if I was gonna like write a book about moving to the city and like how to survive, the first two things that I would say is like find like nest, like find a place and like make a home. Because like I've never been one who believes in like the subletting jumping around life. I think that that's so unsettling and like having your own space home is base. so important. Yeah. And then the second thing I would say is like find your community. Like find. How? I think there's a lot of ways. I mean, I think that if you come here with nothing, which I really can't imagine because I'm from here and, you know, at, when you go to school, you all move mm-hmm. here together. If you come here with nothing, I guess you just kind of have to do stuff like I think you maybe if you go on dating apps and meet people that way I think you have to go out I think I don't know it's hard it's hard I can't imagine that people really move here without like a soul in the world like even a friend of a friend of a friend right you know. I think you just like have to be open and willing to like take risks and be it's it's so scary I can't say that I would ever do these things because it's scary but I think you have to just kind of jump off the bridge and and dive in because yeah. like I think overall, like, it's possible in New York more than other cities where people seem very closed
1: off. Like, New York, everyone is everywhere. So you can really
0: go anywhere and meet people.
1: Yeah. Catherine, it's so funny that you you said that because that's literally the conversation that we just had. Yeah. Was that she was like, "You, you must, must, must have a foundation of the people around you. Yeah. Because New York is so fucking crazy. It's
0: fast and furious.
1: And you can go from the best mood in the whole world to feeling like... You are dirt. Like, you are nothing. Yeah. And, and you will continue to do that. Constantly. From hour to hour. Yeah. But the people, it's the people. That keep you there. Yeah. And you know what?
0: I think that that, I think that that is part of the reason why greatness is achievable in New York. is Ooh, because yeah. you can be high and low like that. And I also think it's, like, the reason that we try harder. Like, I always say that the reason I love New York is because I feel like I plug in like when I walk out my door I like take my socket and I plug it into the like the New York power hub and And I'm like like, "Um, yeah and I feel like I wouldn't get that other places and I don't know how I would manage without that and it's and it's the community and it's it's yeah yeah but that's part of it like that's
1: part of the plugging in you know
0: but it's important and it's
1: hard so you go to school you're you're gonna be on Broadway that's like that's, that's like the tunnel vision yes Tell, what What is Ben in college like?
0: Ben in college, his first two years, was a mess. Egomaniac. Thought I was like, hot shot this, hot shot that.
1: Right, because you thought that Syracuse like wasn't the school for you. Right. And
0: I was like, just... I think I was fucking around my first two years. I was like, taking the classes seriously. I wanted to be a better dancer, so I was like, taking a million dance classes. But I was like having a good time and was like I'm nailing it here I have nothing to worry about and then at the end of sophomore year as they do an evaluation and I was the only person in my class that failed acting and musical theater and basically they like took my ego like the fucking chandelier and fan of the opera and smashed it on the <laughs> floor <laughs> And when I found out that I failed, it was, like, devastating. And my advisor at school was, like, the head of musical theater, and she, like, loved me. She was the one who accepted me. And she, when she told me that I failed, she's like, I heard what everyone was saying in the room about you, and I had never heard any of this before. I was shocked that you had failed. I did not think you would. So I can't really give you any constructive criticism as to why you failed. I think you need to meet with other faculty members She's like, but if you decide that this is not the place for you, she literally said this to me, which is like so funny, but maybe it was good that she did. She was like, I think you can move to New York now and you'd be okay. Wow. She's like, if you feel like you had to leave, because I was still auditioning my freshman and sophomore year and I got close for a couple of things that were big in the city, um, which is also why I think my ego was like, yeah, which was not good. So then I met with all the other professors and they basically were like you have a bad attitude and you care more about you know your appeal than your actual work and you're not making yourself vulnerable or letting yourself go or breaking down your walls and you're a disruption you're
1: like the class clown and you need to chill. So It's so funny because I don't it's so weird because I don't know you like that at all. Yeah. So it's just so weird for me to like try to envision you in that way.
0: Yeah, I just like and maybe this is also we can go back to this later. But why I shouldn't be an actor is because I'm I don't like to I'm just I mess around in rehearsal always I always <laughs> did and it's not good and I don't condone it at all. You gotta have fun. That's And I just whole got thing. excited and yeah. I just like I don't know. So they all I had the summer to go away, and I was like devastated and I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I at this around this time in the in the late summer like early fall newsies was happening at paper mill playhouse and my best friend was in it and I went to Maplewood where my aunt and uncle live right by paper mill to Mm -hmm. see it while I was in school well I should say I decided to go back and like I'll take the classes again and whatever because what am I gonna do I'm not gonna like I wasn't ready to drop out of school and I just was like all right Ben take your summer get it together and we still want to camp no, no, no. I worked at a theme park this summer, okay. which was a whole experience of itself. <laughs> I was like, you need to like get your shit together. So I took the summer and thought about it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go back. You know, this isn't about your talent. This is just about your attitude. And maybe there is more. Maybe they're right. Maybe I should listen to them. And some of the professors also had, like, good things to say. Like, I see something in you that you could get to. So I I did it. I swallowed my pride, and I went back. And I went to go see Newsies at Paper Mill, and my best friend Max was in it. And he started telling me about this book called The Artist's Way that I had never heard of. And he said that some people in the cast had just read it. And he was had read it and it changed his life and all this stuff. And Max is, like, very, like, un, he was always very university and very trusting. He, like, has an S on his, um, tattooed on his wrist for surrender, to, like, Sick. surrender to the universe. So... I was like, you know what, Max? Shut the fuck up. I'll get this book. Okay, whatever. I'll do it. I'm already like throwing everything I ever believed. <laughs> Might out as well. The window. Yeah, right. So we walked into this tiny little bookshop in Maplewood, New Jersey, like v- about the size of this room, okay. and literally walked right in. And right in front of me was one copy of The Artist's Way, like staring me dead in the eye. I was like, okay, I'm getting that book right there. That's for <laughs> me. Um, and I read it, and it totally, totally changed my life. What? Why? How? It just changed my perception on the world. I think that in a weird way, it turned me from a pessimist into an optimist. Wow. Which I never really thought about before, but it totally did. It just like, it grounded me and I never read like a self-help book like that in my life. Like my family is like very loud and Jewish and cynical and that's just like how I was raised. And I never like this kind of, Zen, Zen isn't the word, just this sort of like open-mindedness and trusting way of life, leap in the net will appear, all those kind of like philosophies that I now like live by so wholeheartedly had just never been a part of my life. They never even like occurred to you? Never. And um, the book just like made me into this like person that felt inspired. And I felt like I was spreading it around. Like I was just like trusting in a way trusting my life and trusting, like believing that signs were like omens and things like that, which I think is tampered down since I read it, unfortunately. But just like seeing that I was going the right way and trusting I was going the right way and figuring out what was being served to me and how to best manifest that. So that felt really, really good. And I got through the semester because of that and I re-evaluated and I passed and went on at Syracuse and my relationship changed with the entire faculty. Really? Yeah. I mean, now I am on, on faculty. I produce the showcase and they bring me back for workshops all the time. And I'm like close with the Dean of the school. Like I, I stay in contact with them Um, and that's all because my mind changed there. Your whole mindset. Yeah. It just changed the way I was working and changed what I was working towards and changed how I was feeling about my life. Did you do the whole like three pages a day? You were doing the yep. whole thing.
1: You yep, did but the yeah. Whole
0: thing. And I still do morning pages. And I lo- I mean, that's when I discovered journaling in general, which I don't do as much as I should, but like it's a ama- I'm the kind of person whose mind is just like going, going, going all the time. I'm with you. So and I like to talk to everyone about everything that's going on. And sometimes that's annoying and also <laughs> unnecessary. <laughs> and journaling is just a good place to like get it get out. It out. Yeah. And I really have to do that a lot.
1: Um so you still were going with the intention of like, I want to be an actor.
0: Yes, but the producer bug had been planted in my head by then by that professor who is my advisor because one day in sophomore year class, I was like performing a song and she was like, you know what? You have like one foot outside of yourself at all times. She's like, you're looking at the big picture here. Like you're always looking at like, how is this song going to play at the end of the show rather than like, how is this song going to play in the moment? And I can like see you like thinking about your staging and how it's gonna look on a stage. She's like, maybe you're a producer. And She's like, I was like, oh. did you take it in or were you like, no, no, I took it in because I had always like loved putting on shows with my friends and like right. loved telling everyone what to sing and like kind of <laughs> producing my entire life. Yeah. So it wasn't surprising to me, but I was like, mm, maybe Lena Mulder. But at that I think by the time I graduated college I knew I was like, okay, I'm going to perform, I'll be on Broadway a little bit and then I'm going to be a producer. And then and then I performed a little bit and I didn't make it on Broadway, but I did a tour and I was ready to be done. Why? Um I think that by being on Broadway, what I really wanted was to be a part of a big production. And I love being part of big productions. I love like being in big theaters and big sets and big lighting rigs and big budgets and the big time, yeah. you know. I love that. So when I did Beauty and the Beast, it was that. It was like a Broadway level show. And we were playing in these enormous theaters and the costumes were absolutely stunning and the choreography was from Broadway. Like it was cool. It was a big show. And I just hated it. I hated doing the show eight times a week. I hated being on tour. I mean, I love traveling, but not for that long. Yeah. And I don't like living out of a suitcase for more than a couple weeks. And I hated putting on the makeup every day. It just, like, I was like, this is not for me. So when I finished, well, I quit the tour early. When I quit the tour early, I... Um, in Syracuse, Daisy Prince teaches our musical theater class in New York City for our last semester, and her and I just really, really connected as just, like, people in the theater who have similar outlooks on the theater, and f- I've kept in touch with her, obviously, since, and I always knew that when I wanted to make the switch, she was going to be the person that I, like, contacted. You you, you knew that already. Yeah. And a year out of school, um, I met Hal and Judy because they moved into a new apartment. And Daisy called me and was like, can I hire you to, like, come over to my parents' house and, like, go through all their theater shit and organize it because you'll know what everything is. And you were like, oh, And my I was God. like, can I do this for free and, like, give you my firstborn? <laughs> so I did that for, like, three months. And I didn't really get to know Hal that well because he was at the office. But I got to know Judy. And I just, like, felt kind of comfortable around the family at that point point. And then it was like two years after that I was leaving the tour and I contacted Daisy because Hal was doing the band's visit at Atlantic Theater Company with David Yazbek, And I was like, I love David Yazbek, and I need to be Hal Prince. So I'll like get coffee on this show. So I emailed Daisy and I was like, hey, I'm leaving this tour. I don't think I want to be an actor anymore. Can I get coffee on the band's visit? And she was like, I'll reach out to them and get back to you. And then I got a call from Hal's office to come in for a meeting. I was like, "Oh, great! Should I bring anything? Resume?" And they're like, "Nope, just come." So I was like, "Cool." So I went in and sat with Hal for like two and a half hours, and we just like hit it off. And he fired his old assistant and hired me.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. What? Okay. We're gonna get. Okay, hold on. <laughs> so I want the first thing I want to ask you is when you decided to leave the tour and really make the decision that you were like okay not acting for me. Yeah. Was that a hard pill to swallow? Um
0: I think at first it was because I would see opportunities right and be like oh I want to be doing that. And about like um like about a year and a half into working with Hal, like my old agent called and it was like the wicked team wants you to come in for Bach again. Do you want to go in? and that was like a moment where i had to think for a second because i was like wow here's another opportunity like for what i want but then i ultimately turned it down cuz i was like because then what you know then, then what? what i go and do wicked on broadway for 6 months for 6 months i burn this bridge and end this chapter and then what do i do i go back to producing or i keep performing i'm just like that's i think that's what i didn't like about acting too is the lifestyle like i don't want to put my i don't want to put my creativity and my passion in the hands of other people like i don't want somebody else to tell me that i can do what i know i'm amazing at and love to do and yeah. it's really really hard and i think i think that i couldn't swallow that and i didn't want to swallow that and i think that that's why my brain is right for producing too because i like to be in control of my creativity and my artistry and my what i'm doing i mean even with acting like you don't even get to choose what roles you play. Like if I feel really passionate about telling the story of Bach and Wicked, it's not my story to tell until they give me the the okay. And I have to like beg them for it. It just, it was degrading in a way that I didn't want to be doing. And I guess I didn't love it enough to stick it
1: out, which is okay. I know. And I, I I think I really want to like hit that home because I think that's so profound what you just said that like, you are as an actor at you have to wait for the opportunity to do the thing that you want to do, yeah, it's which great. some people that really works for them, and they really want they like they yeah. that's the thing and they are willing to like suck it up and persevere and push through, but man oh man, like that is the reality of the thing absolutely, and some people are put on this earth for it,
0: and some people believe they are, and maybe that's enough too, but I kind of looked at acting and I was like, and maybe this is a weird thing to say, but I was like, I'm a really good actor. I sing really well. I could easily be in this show, this show, this show. But I'm never gonna be Audrey McDonald. I don't think I was ever gonna be like a Tony Award-winning actor, the best in my field. I never felt that way. And that's not saying that I wasn't good. It's just I know that there are you people who are better than me. Yeah. And with producing, I feel the opposite i'm like I feel like I could be the best at this, and I want to be the best at this, and I feel like I can get there I, I feel like the more I work and the more I dig in and and look and search and collaborate and learn, like I could get better like as an actor you're given what you're given, you know, and there's only so much you can do with it, and that's not a bad thing at no. all, but I think I've always been a person who, like, wanted to achieve greatness in some sense. And on this path, even if I don't, I feel like I I already feel like I am, you know?
1: Yes. The come up, will be right back after this. Okay, so now let's talk about this meeting with Hal, this first meeting with Hal. What, what why... What clicked? Like, what was the, you know what I mean? I mean, I yeah. know you, but I'm, I'm curious to know, like, he
0: just, he, he just, like, wanted to know about me. So I just, like, started talking about myself. And we ended up just, like, talking about the theater and the state of the theater and what shows we like and don't like. And, like, I would debate with him. Like, he does not like Next to Normal. And I fucking die for Next to Normal. It's one of my favorite shows. I saw it 14 times. I... You die. Yeah, I die. I think it's incredible. I think it's such a perfect example of like a contemporary musical with contemporary language and contemporary issues and the style is contemporary, the music is contemporary. I just thought it like, check, 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 check. And I loved that. And he hated it. And it's because... I mean, I think the main reason he hated it is because it's too contemporary for him. The way that those people speak are not how Hal speaks at all. That's how people of our generation speak. But that part was removed, so he didn't catch into it that way the way I did. And it's not his style. He doesn't like that, like, modern, crisp kind of looking thing. He has different opinions about that. And it's, you know, he doesn't like a rock band orchestra. He likes an orchestra, which is fair. But I think that the fact that I, like, stepped up and was fighting with him (laughs) is why he liked me. And... I think he liked my energy too. I think he saw something about me that he, and I know this now, that he thinks about himself and it reminded him of himself when he was my age. So I think that that's really why we clicked. And Hal has made a career of like working with young people and giving people their first shot and putting people on the map. Like that's how he's made his career. He's done it a million times. And I think he wanted that sort of energy in the office because... The person who had been his assistant before was there for five years. He was in his late 30s. He's a writer. Um, And he was great. But I think that like Hal just wanted a new energy in the office. So were you freaking out? I was. I really was freaking out when he called me and told me. And (laughs) it's so sad. But at the time, he was doing the band's visit. And I was so excited to work on it because of it and also because one of my best friends was in his reading of it and I was like bitch I'm gonna be giving you notes (laughs) um so that was really exciting too and Prince of Broadway I just was like I'm gonna be working on Broadway so that was exciting and he's my idol literally my idol like if I could be anyone in the theater ever before it would be him
1: yeah, I think this is really fascinating because so often I the stuff I'm listening to or here is about like finding a mentor, you know, finding somebody that like really believes in you yeah. and, sees, and it's much easier said than actually done. It's literally a line in Prince of Broadway. It's like all you need is that one person to say, You're good, you can do this. There can be ninety-nine there could be a ninety-nine people that what's the gaga thing yeah. that she says? There can be a hundred people in a room and ninety-nine don't think you got it. Yeah. But you just need one.
0: Just one. And He's given me that tenfold. And I feel like it's, I think in the last six months, I really think he's become my mentor. And it's, it's the best. I will, re- I will like remember these days forever. I think I will have such vivid memories with Hal even when I'm 91. Because, and I still do, I feel like there are some things in my life that like my memory is not clear, but things with Hal are, like, crystal clear. I can remember exactly what was said. It's so fascinating. And also, you got to work on his book. Yeah. So you really got to... Well, I know everything. That's what I mean. (laughs) You've heard everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, that must have been crazy. It was crazy. And that was, like, another Ben sort of thing where I should have kept my mouth shut, but I didn't, where... um, the ghost writer, There was someone who was, like, writing it, who was, like, interviewing with Hal, and then he was going to write the book. And we were waiting for him to deliver chapters and waiting and waiting, and they were talking for, like, two years. And this guy is, like, a theater historian. He has written a lot of books. And he delivered his version of the book, which Hal wrote a book in 1974, which was, like, the beginning of his career up until Candide. Okay. And then this book was supposed to be, like, comments on that old book, and then from 1974 on which is literally so many so many years like not even half his career so um he delivered the book and how was like you read it first so I read it and it just like it wasn't good I didn't like it it was catty it had like more comments about people than like speaking about the experience of what he did and I I liked the way that his first book was structured. They're, like, short chapters. Each chapter is a show. It lays out, like, how it happened, what happened, how he did it, and then how it ended. And I liked that. I was like, it's easy to read. You feel like you're in his brain. So I read this book, and I was like, I don't like it, how. So then he read it, and he was like, I don't like it either. And I was like, well, this is what I think you should do. And I told him, I was like, I think you should literally – read your book and after you read the chapter let's do the notes on each one and then I think you should just let's do every chapter a show and go from there and so I made a list for him because he doesn't remember the order of everything um, of all of his shows and he crossed out the ones that he wanted that he was like this doesn't need to be in there and we just like went on and I kind of would probe him. Like there are some, like Parade. I literally know everything about Parade. I'm obsessed with it. I've always been obsessed with it. I've gone to like a million like talks on Parade. I've heard Jason and Alfred and everyone talk about it. So I know like all the stories, all the gags. And when we were doing the Parade chapter, he was like telling the story, and I was like, Wait, 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 wait! Wasn't Steve Solomon supposed to write it before? And he was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I asked Steve to write it, and he didn't want to do it because he had just done Passion. And the material was like too serious and he didn't want to do something like dark and serious like that again. I was like, well, let's put that in the book. <laughs> so he would kind of talk and I would like be like, oh, I think because I'm the target audience for the book. You well, know I what mean, I mean? What he <laughs> you are literally, the, the, <laughs> if anybody was going to read this book, it was you. Like, so I knew what I wanted to hear. <laughs> right. So I would just like probe him and, and and do it. And that's kind of how we did it.
1: And he kind of just dictated it, and I would just write it. And more than anything, I what I, I like, I am excited to hear I, mostly what I think about. And we when when this was happening, I kept saying to Sam, I was like, I'm excited for Ben's book <laughs> in however many years to talk about this experience because to sit there and to have a com- conversations with motherfucking Hal Prince, I know about all the things that he's worked on. I, I don't even know if it, it's possible to like understand the value of that no and I don't think that I will ever you know what I mean like I yeah it it feels so intrinsic it just doesn't I don't know I don't think you'll ever be able to like quantify it
0: yeah I don't think so either and I think that to go back to like what I said at the very beginning of us talking like I never I don't think I ever like was in that moment I was like oh my god I can't believe this is happening oh my god I can't believe I'm writing this right now I never really I never don't I don't think I ever felt like that but now looking back on it and hearing what you're saying I'm like yeah you're right you're right and I think a lot of it just like sinks in and and manifests itself in your body in a way without you noticing it mm-hmm. and that's kind of cool and special but I also know that my brain is like his brain and he like he doesn't feel like he's done he doesn't like look back and he's like I did it he's like I'm not done yet I haven't said everything I want to say he doesn't like look at his Career and be like, I can do anything I want. I'm the most important director at all. He totally does not think of himself that way. And you know, when Prince of Broadway got a bad review, it hit him hard. It he was upset, and you know, it's just he's just not done. So he's a human. He's like a person, such a person, and the funniest guy ever.
1: Literally like cackling all the goddamn time. (laughs) I, the other thing I wanna I, I'm curious to know is like and I talked about this with you and, and a lot of people before, but like showing up in a room, you showing up in a room and feeling like you're worthy of being there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it's very easy, that imposter syndrome comes in, but like how do you walk in a room and know and feel confident? I mean, do you walk in a room and feel confident? Not confi- always okay. no. I mean, really no, not at all.
0: And I think a lot of it comes from fear, obviously. It's funny. I guess I'll talk about this cuz why not. It But like with be more chill, I sometimes feel that way. Really? Yeah, because I'm a co-producer, which is great and it's amazing and I feel comfortable with everyone who's there, but in a way like I don't I don't feel like I have any contribution in the project that's like known to everybody. Like, I will put my two cents in in meetings when I have opinions and give ideas when I have them. And a lot of those things have been listened to, and and some of them are being done, which is awesome, and I know that. But, like, I want to – I like to feel like I have a contribution that everyone's aware of. I want people to, like, know that I'm a part of this too. And I think, like, it's it's hard being a co-producer because – it's great and it's necessary and I'm doing it for a lot of good reasons. But I think that I have been like, I, I do get a little nervous when I walk into the room because I'm like, I don't think that everyone here knows who I am and like knows what I'm doing on this show. And like, that's okay. I'm not like everyone should know who I am, but I know who you are. Right. You know, like I, I'm involved and care about trying to know everyone and anyone at the theater that I met that I didn't know I'm introducing myself because that's also part of theater that's important is, like, the, the family and collaboration part. But I'm drifting away from what no, you no, asked. No. But walking into a room
1: and knowing your Like, worth. with how, right? When, like, to, to, to be able to feel like you're worthy of being there. Yeah. And not to – and, and the, I guess the example that I can give is that, like, on a carpet – I have to act as if right. I'm on the same level yes. as Bernadette Peters, of course, right? Of course, She, even though I, even though I know yeah. who she is and what yeah. she's accomplished, I have to show up in that moment. Of course, like I'm kind of equally, yeah. In order for us to do what I really want to, what I want to achieve, like the way I want it to come off of and the course. way I want her to feel, I have to show up and be like, okay, I'm, I'm good enough, and I'm, I'm the same. Yeah, I misunderstood what you
0: were asking. I mean, I've kind of, I've just been. A smart ass since I was a little kid. I'm <laughs> serious. I I can't deny it. I like was cursing at adults when I was eight. I've always just been a smart ass. And I think that in that respect, I've never been afraid to talk to people. Yeah. And that's because my mom is like that. My mom is relentless. She like in her she runs a not-for-profit that works with music groups and she collects food and delivers it to local shelters, which is awesome. But she's gotten to meet all of her. She's met Paul McCartney. She's met Ringo Starr. And she just fucking walks up to them and talks to them like, "You're, I'm a human. You're a human." And I think that that's why I'm able to. I think like seeing her do that growing up, I've been able to do that. And you know, sometimes I have to have like a little talk with myself before I go in and be like, "You know what you're talking about. You are capable of being in this room. You have a lot to say." And I've actually because we can talk about this when we get there, but because I'm working on a show with Hal now and that I'm producing and he's directing, um, when we did our first read-through of the first draft of the first half, I was like, how much can I say in here? Like, where am I allowed to speak up? Am I allowed to have thoughts? Am I allowed to have notes? Or do I kind of just have to, like, let him work and let them work? And I decided... Something that Hal taught me was that when he was young and working with George Abbott and they were like in tech for shows, when he had notes, rather than like saying everything he thought, he would write everything down on a list of everything that he thought needed to be fixed or addressed and he wouldn't say anything. And as the week went on, one by one, he'd be able to cross things out on their list because they were figuring it out their own, which was a really important lesson because I don't ever know when to bite my tongue. And it's something that I've learned so much working with Hal and I think biting your tongue is part of knowing your worth in the room. And it's not like you don't deserve, but like there is something powerful about only saying things that you feel need to be said and that are necessary to say rather than just like everything gloating what you realize and showing how smart you are because you have observations. Like that's not attractive or appealing or efficient. So in this reading, I was like really nervous about how I was going to speak and I kind of, the reading ended, and they all started talking, and I kind of just, like, let them talk, and I was listening. And then I saw an opportunity where I had a, I had an idea, and I thought it was a good idea. And so I said it. And Hal, like, turned and looked at me, and he was, like, so impressed. And he was like, yeah, yes, Ben, that's a, that's a great idea. And then after the meeting, then then there was, like, one or two other things that I said in the meeting, but nothing Good, but after the meeting, he was like, "I was really impressed with you in there. You had really good things to say, and you're handling this project really beautifully. And I'm really proud of you." How did that feel? So fucking good. And he told the other people in my office. He was like, "Ben is like." He told them separately, and they told me that he said it. And then his wife called me and was like, "Hal was like really impressed with you today." And like that feeling was the best feeling I've ever felt because. I was like, I'm collaborating with him now. I'm not just working for him. I'm not just in the office. Like, I feel like I'm part of it. And it's changed our relationship dynamically in the best way. And that's why I really feel like he's my mentor now. Like, now I feel like he's, he doesn't just think I'm, like, this spunky, energetic, young kid who, like, has all the enthusiasm and ambition in the world. He thinks that, like, I have capability of being an artist and I have something to say. And that is it's i can't even put it into words. Do you it's, feel that way? I do sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i mean i think i know the kind of theater that i want to create and the kind of messages that i'm interested in sharing. I was saying this to someone last night. I think that i have the potential to be a really good producer because i ride the line of like um financial and artistic very evenly. Like i am interested in the business of Broadway. I want to make money. I want to be Smart about money. I want to budget things really well and do it the right way and optimize profit. I'm really obsessed with that. I think it's awesome and fascinating. But at the same time, I'm so, so, so devoted to telling important stories. And what I was saying about material, I believe so wholeheartedly. Like, I do not want to present a show until the material is there. And I'm interested in the stories relating to the social and political climate that we're in and having important messages that people are going to relate to and also being theatrical and, and breaking barriers. Like, I'm so... Those are the only kind of shows that I want to do. So I feel like I have a, a foot in both of these places really well in a way that I think that a lot of other producers, not in a bad way, but often lean one or the other way.
1: And I feel like I really ride the line almost evenly, which is nice. And it feels like a lot of the other things that you've done... Are, are, are shining examples of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I'm trying and I'm trying to, you know, that's something that Hal's taught me too. He's like, anything that you put your name on better align with your creative intentions and your, what you want to say as an artist and not just to make money. And I I've, I've thought about that hard and, you know, I think about what I'm going to present after Be More Chill because I love Be More Chill and it has such important messages but it's campy and it's loud and it's fun and I don't only want to do those kind of shows. I don't want to get grouped in like, oh, he only does shows for young people. Um, not that B-more shows for young people; it's for all people. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. It's just like I feel like now that Hal's like old, he can like look back at his career and notice the things that he took. You know, he turned down Hello Dolly to direct it. They offered him that, and he was like, I don't want to do that. Because I think it's not a great adaptation. And he's like, that's not the kind of theater I'm interested in directing. And I think that that's huge, you know? Saying no. Yeah, saying no is powerful as fuck. Hard. It's hard. But it, it comes back to, like, trusting the universe and knowing that if you're turning something down, it's only because... But you have to trust your gut, too. And that's something that Lindsay, when she was talking about, like, listening to yourself, I was like, yes, girl. Like when something feels wrong, like address that. That's something, and mo- a lot of people don't. They don't. I don't a lot, you know. But it, it's good to just check in and and do that. Um,
1: I, I'm I'm curious. So I'm
0: like all over the
1: place. I feel yeah, but that's what I. But it's great. No, it's great. No, there. It's no. This it's all so valuable and so. It's just. I mean, I'm. I'm. I keep getting emotional like hearing you talk because I. I just like I. Yeah, it's to me. It's just very exciting, and and it's all like, I get very overwhelmed, like, thinking about you. So, that's I mean, I feel the same way about I, you. But that's how you know what I mean. Like, I just I just well, you don't know that. So I, I I you you get this job as an assistant, which is great because you have like a gig. Yeah, and you're like, oh great, I can like pay my bills and do my yeah. thing and eat food. Never had that before. Right, so, oh my god, right? Like, what is that? Um, but obviously that can't be the thing that's artistically fulfilling for you
0: no it's and it's not at times and i i would even say that like be more chill isn't it? i mean pr- my producing life right now is not as artistically fulfilling as i hope it will be one day and that's okay i'm like learning and i'm it, i'm getting into it and learning but you know Work is work, you know. You can be doing your dream-ass job, and some days you're going to hate doing it, and that's okay. And it's also being comfortable and okay with that. Um, I've thought about leaving HAL probably 100 times just because I'm like, I don't want to be in this office every day. I don't want to be an assistant anymore. But this like, last six-month switch that's happened has changed everything for really? me. Yeah, because I'm like, where else do I want to be? What, do I want to go work in another theater office? No. no. I'm not like at a point where I'm like ready to be freelance producing because I will have not really any income coming in. I yep. don't want to do that. And I'm like, let's just keep on this path and let's see where some seeds fall. And if some of these shows that I'm working on come to fruition and start making money, then I can reassess. But... I don't want to leave Hal's office. I like being in there. I like talking to him every day. I like sharing my ideas with him and sharing my project with him and hearing what he thinks of shows and talking about theater. I think that that actually has become a really important part of of what I do. And you have found things outside. Yes, he's so letting me live my dreams outside. I mean, I've started my production company with Sammy, which we're doing Be More Chill, and we have a couple other shows that are coming up, which are really exciting, and I have my a cappella group too. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about range. Um, And also funny, I was saying this to someone,
1: range is where I feel the most creative in my life right now. Right, which is what I think is so amazing is that you have found this way to balance, you're like, great, I can be a part of the theater world, I can have my get my feet wet and be testing out and, and just kind of like massaging and building that thing. Right. But I still need something that's like creatively fulfilling. Absolutely. And
0: Rain just 100% that. And that's really why we started it in the first place, because we came out of college, we were all auditioning, working, you know, here and there, regional jobs, non-ec, whatever. And... um, we were like, let's. We loved singing in our acapella group in college. Absolutely loved it. We all say that like the best times we had performing in college were when we were doing that. Like Hannah always says that, and she played <laughs> freaking Sally Bowles, and she says that the best time she had singing, like performing at college, was singing Empire State of Mine with Groovestand. So take that down. So you were for doing the, acapella in college? Oh yeah, me and Ross were running our acapella group in college with it. literally Hannah, Angela, Chris, all the people who are in range now. Not wow. all, but a lot, but of, a lot them. of them. Yeah. Were was it a
1: group that had already been existence yeah, that you guys yeah, kind of yeah. came into? Okay. Yeah. And okay. we like
0: souped it up. Like when we were at <laughs> um, I mean, Groove Stand was just the best. We did choreography and our arrangements oh, were sickening. Yeah. And all of our singers were in the musical theater department. So they were. So real. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whereas like, you know, some of the other groups had some people who were studying nursing yeah, and also psychology, whatever. whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Um so we loved that and we were like, all right, let's let's just like start a group. And just put videos on YouTube for fun. Like that will be creative and we can be creative on our own terms. We can all hang out all the time, which we're already doing, and like make music. That's fun and good. So uh, we like had auditions and filled in the blanks of like what we didn't have from our core group there. Did you know how many you wanted? Did you know it wasn't really about number, it was more about like let's because at the same time we were all still acting. So people were gonna be in and out and we were gonna figure out how to make that work. So we had auditions, we added a few people. And we were just like, all right, we're doing this. So we made, started making videos and putting, we bought a microphone, started making videos and putting them on YouTube and they were good. And like six months in, we got, uh, someone at the E! Network contacted us. I don't know really, oh no, now I know how they found us. But at that point I was like, how did they find us? And they were looking for an acapella group to come sing on the red carpet at the Oscars. And we got it. <laughs> And it was this was the craziest thing. It was like a week turnaround. From from when they told us we got it to when we were performing it, it was one week. So Ross and I stayed up all night, the, that night, and arranged a mashup of 13 Academy Award-winning songs. They said it couldn't be more than three minutes and 30 seconds, and we can only use 15 seconds of every song for copyright reasons. And What a fun challenge. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and we did it. And we basically like wrote to the group and we're like, this is what's happening. If you're doing this, we're rehearsing every single day this week because this will be the greatest thing that anyone's ever seen and it needs to be perfect. And we did it. We like, And everybody showed up. Everyone showed up. We rehearsed every night from like 10 p.m. to 1 in the morning in my room in my apartment. And we drilled it and drilled it and drilled it and dynamics. And like, it was so fun because the best part about range is like getting to arrange the music for the singer right. because I love that. I like know all their voices, like the back of my hand yeah. and I'm like, this is such an Erica line. This is such an Angela line. Like obviously Hannah's doing that. So it's fun. It's really fun. And we drilled it. We all got gowns and tuxedos and we flew to Los Angeles and we did it. And like, we nailed it. Like I watched that video and I can't believe that that is a live recording that's not mixed or, Touched Like, that is literally our voices in microphones, and it sounds, like, perfect. Yeah. So from there, we were just, like, sky's the limit, I guess. I guess. <laughs> so we started, we kept going, and we've um, built, like, a really big YouTube fan base. We have, like, 60-something thousand subscribers, and our Hamilton video obviously really blew up, which was so much fun to do. Just crossed 7 million views, which is wow. crazy. Um, and since since then we've gotten to work with Nickelodeon which like childhood been freaked the fuck out when I was like in those studios craft services at Nickelodeon like, is lit. lit they have like soda and fruit punch and every snack you ever want in the world um, and we worked with Sesame Street and Billboard and Playbill and we this was the craziest is they I didn't get to do this because I was on tour and it was the worst thing ever got to perform with Kelly Clarkson at Radio City right and Kelly Clarkson is like my queen. I arranged the evolution of Kelly Clarkson with all intentions of like Kelly Clarkson seeing it and loving it. And then she was having this contest to have someone come perform with her at Radio City, and I was like, "It's us. We're doing it." So I submitted us, and we booked. You booked, <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't do it because I was in China. Oh yeah. So yeah, I woke yeah, up yeah. at five in the morning, and my mom went to the concert and Facetime me, and I like watched oh it. Oh my god. Over and yeah it's been it's been crazy, and now it's like at a point where you know we do a lot of gigs, we do like corporate galas, which is the most fun work to do in the world because they treat you like royalty and it pays really well, and it's like just fine and you're like, hanging out with your friends, yeah, yeah. and the thing is that, like people are so fascinated by acapella. It's like so unknown to them. they don't understand how it's possible that like you can get away with murder, not that we do, but But they're so into it because they don't understand it. And that makes it more fun for us, like, that we're wowing them. So that's cool. And we're kind of now at the place where, like, if there are things that we want to do or collaborate with people, like, we just reach out. And sometimes it really just, like, works. Like, people are open and willing to collaborate with us. and. It's it's
1: fun. It's really You could have cool. never foreseen like all all of this. No.
0: And now we're kind of, we're trying to transition away from being just a cappella and being a vocal group. Cool. So we're going to, we just released a cover of 2002 that has Cajon, which is, you know, not vocal percussion. Mm-hmm. And we have a song we're doing, um, Maggie Rogers' Light On, that we're going to do with like five singers and then like a guitar and also a, ca- a Cajon. Great. It's going to be an all-lady band, which is going to be so cool. I love it. And then, you know, Ross is a composer. Ross Baum, everyone, for who doesn't know. Look him up. He's lit. Um, He is a composer, and he he writes original songs, and he's been writing pop stuff, and we're going to premiere, like, one of his original songs, which we've never done that, so that's exciting. It's just, like, now that we have this foundation and this following and this place, like, I want it to be a platform for people. And, like, Light On came because Erica texted me. She's like, I really want to do this song. And I was like, awesome, let's do it. And I'm arranging it and we're starting it tonight, so that's exciting. That must be it's much just like are you excited to sit down and
1: arrange stuff? Like I love it. Yeah. I love
0: it so much. It's so creative for me and it's so fun and it keeps me musical, which is so important and like you know, like my kids will be in piano lessons at four years old. Oh my god, yeah. Um, I think it changes your brain. I think like to have No, it does. We know it does. Yeah. I mean it's it's I'm so thankful that my mom was so forceful about me taking piano lessons, even when I didn't want to practice, and making me do it, because it's,
1: it's just great. And I, I think the, the piece that really is is the biggest, and I know we've already talked about this, but like, it really is your friends. Like, yeah, you really have set up this amazing thing where you can just like hang out with your friends and make stuff. Yeah, that really is what we do. Like sometimes we're
0: just hanging out three of us and we're like, let's like do like a little cover for Instagram. And we do. And it's just fun. And no fear. No, there's fear. <laughs> but I mean you
1: have to but you get past it.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that now we all just know how to sing with each other. We know how to work with each other. We know how like this person gets really stressed out when we're doing this kind of thing. And that's good. It's good. We just get it. You understand the dynamic. And you know what? The best memories that I have First of all, like, the performance opportunities that we've gotten to do together are so cool. Like, we performed at Lincoln Center and Radio City and on TV and with Billboard. Like, just, like, being there with those people, is <laughs> like, so fun. <laughs> it's so fun. But I think of, like, when we were filming Hamilton, Mary Claire King, who's in the group, booked Warpaint, like, during that shoot. And when we were competing in this competition, Sydney Patrick booked Lauren in the Kinky Boots tour. And when Hannah booked Hedwig, like, being together, when Chris booked Finding Neverland, like, when we get these big jobs, like, when we're all together and can, like, share them with the group, it's, like, a win for
1: everyone. This is huge. Yeah. This we, is huge. It really feels that way every single time. It's not... It's, it's a, it like... Yeah. I really want to, like, nail this in. And it's inspiring. Right. It, like, pumps you all up. Yeah. I mean,
0: that's, like, why we don't We don't have to talk about my class, but that's why I love teaching my class is because I think it's so important to be in a room with people that inspire you to be better and make you see that things are attainable and tangible and that it's just the best. Like, there are pe- people in range say, like, this is the reason that I'm still in New York. Like, I don't think I would still be doing this if I didn't have range. And that makes me feel so good. I mean, that's what the dream is. That's what the only thing I ever wanted to do. And as a producer, that's such my dream too, is like I want to give opportunities to the people that I think deserve them and the people that I believe in as artists. Like that's so special to me. And if I could be a person that's in a position that could do that, like holy cow, what a goddamn dream
1: that would be. What a gift, I mean, truly. And and I, I would imagine you would say that like, I mean, I guess I should just ask, like, do you feel like the range stuff has informed your producing and or I guess vice versa? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Um, and both ways. For right. Sure. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like the first couple range videos that we produced to now, I mean, you could tell like how taste has changed and obviously there's more money now. But yeah. I'm I know things about media that I didn't know I know how to edit videos I know how to color correct videos I know how to do audio production minimally I understand social media more I mean I've learned a lot about exposure and that's so much a part of producing today especially with be more chill look at how that's happened yeah but I feel like I'm more informed as an artist because I've dipped into a little bit of the other ponds and I'm so excited to start taking classes at Columbia in the fall because well, this is the next thing we're going to. We get could talk to. about that too, but because I can take film stuff and and learn about other mediums, which only is going
1: to make me better in the theater. So, you know, and that's what I admire so deeply about you is that you, you have created this sort of like wide net of things that you kind of have put your made yourself a part of.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that comes from like how being like attach your name to things that you believe in, and I, I do that. Um, let's talk about Columbia. Talk about Columbia. Just fill me in. What's the story here? So I am, I think the 2019 or 2020, I think 2019 recipient of the T Fellowship through Columbia for Creative Producing, which is a fellowship that was started by T. Edward Hambleton, who was a creative producer who ran the Phoenix Company on Broadway for many years, where Hal directed a whole lot of shows like The Visit and... um, the matchmaker uh, and a lot of stuff. So Hal was very close with T, and when T was like in his old age, he like had the idea to develop a fellowship for producing because there he saw that things were getting very commercial, and he wanted to like make sure there was a space for creative producers. And what how what do you define what is that what is that defined as? I think. There's a lot of ways to define it. I think of it as two things, and I had to put this in my essay for the fellowship. Perfect. I think one thing is about being creative in the, in the types of projects that you do and being adventurous and daring and, and wanting to push the envelope and wanting to tell interesting stories and wanting to do the thing that's turned on its head, not just the obvious movie adaptation of something that already exists, but having ideas of, of bigger things with bigger messages for those purposes – But I also think it means being creative in how you produce the show. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the part that ultimately probably got me the fellowship. And I think that has to do with advertising and how you expose the show the first time and how people see the show from the outside. And I think social media is such a huge part of that now. What the art looks like, who's in the show, what kind of content you're putting out, what the billboard looks like, what the theater looks like. All that stuff is so important in the production of a show. And I think something like Dear Evan Hansen shows that very well. Or you can look back and look at, like, cats and how they produced that and how they exposed that and what it looked like from the outside made everyone want to get in. So that's really what I think creative producing is. And so now? So now, um, starting in the fall, I get to audit the entire MFA program at Columbia in producing, which is awesome because I was thinking about wanting to go there anyway. So I do that. It's a two-year program. And I now am being mentored by Hal, which he's already my mentor, Jeffrey Seller, David Stone, Tom Schumacher, Margot Lyon, Oren Wolf, and Sue Frost, which are just like... That's crazy. Crazy. Like, that is... Those are the people. Oh, and Aaron Glick. How many people get this fellowship? One. Well, one or two. And I'm the eighth person, the eighth recipient. Oren Wolf was the first. So it doesn't happen every year. It does happen every year. It's only been around for eight years. Wow. Of course, I think... The first year, two people won. And this, what happened here is that Rachel Sussman was just announced the winner, which is, I love her. She's awesome. I met with her the other day. So she's love the fellow. She's like, usually the fellowship application opens in January. It's due by March. And the fellow is announced in June. But that didn't happen last year because Oren Wolf was running the fellowship by himself and he had the band's visit. And I think everything got pushed back a little. So the application opened in like September. Okay. And they were going to pick someone for January who was going to start mid-semester at Columbia. And then they were going to reopen the fellowship application immediately and do the same thing, due by March, and then do the next one. Okay. But instead, they picked me and Rachel now. And Rachel starts now and is already at Columbia and already mentoring. And then I'll be announced in the summer, I believe. And then I'll start at Columbia in the fall. Great. Yeah. And it, and it works out because you apply with a project. And I applied with the show that I'm working on with Hal which is funny because he's on the board, but he reclused himself from the vote and was silent in my final interview, <laughs> which was horrifying, um, and was silent after he said too. Um, but I applied with this show that I'm working on called How to Dance in Ohio, it's um, an original musical based on a documentary by Alexander Shiva about a center for young adults with autism in Columbus, Ohio. And in the documentary, the guy who runs the center, who's named Dr. Amigo, which is literally the best name in the world, Dr. Friend, um, he plans a spring formal for the kids, which is obviously the ultimate challenge for somebody with autism. And it documents them preparing for the dance, so, you know, asking someone, and do people say yes or no, and buying a dress, and the whole thing. So it's a really, really cool project, and I'm really passionate about it, and, yeah. Did you
1: discover the piece, or? So,
0: like I said, I'm very passionate about working with the same people. So Jacob Yandora and Rebecca Malosik are a writing team that I love, and I collaborate with, and... We were going to work on a different show together, and they called me to tell me that they didn't want to work on that show anymore because they had something that was taking precedence, and I asked them what it was. They told me it was this thing. Me and Sammy, my partner, watched the documentary and were literally like, whatever happens with this, whenever, we're in, because it was heartbreaking and breathtaking and unreal. Um, So that was just kind of like up in the air. When you have something, show us. And then after Prince of Broadway finished, Hal said that the next thing he wanted to do in a music, conquer in a musical was autism. And I was like, I literally have the project for you. And now here's the real gag of the century (laughs) is that How to Dance in Ohio is dedicated to Hal's granddaughter who has autism. Wow. Yeah.
1: That must be real full circle for you.
0: Real full circle. But you know... And I describe it this way. I described it this way when I was in my fellowship interview, and I think about it this way. I just feel like all of these stars, like, floated into my vision, and I just, like, reached up and pulled it down, you know? Like, it was just right in front of me. I just saw an opportunity, and I think a lot of people would have done the same thing, and I'm so glad I did, obviously, but uh, it, it, the universe literally put it out and Yeah, said, but you like, also brought it in, too. Yeah, but but— It just like every piece fell into the right place. And I was like, okay, let's
1: just like gather this wonderful basket and like walk off to our picnic. I guess then I guess looping back around, you know, was, has it been an exercise in trusting? Yes. Oh, absolutely. It all like comes
0: back from the artist's way. That is the book that changed my life. And I recommend it to anyone who's never read it. I've never read it. Oh, Matt. You are the target audience. I was going to say, out of all the people, probably me. And here's something that I will say for anyone who is going to read it and for you who's going to read it. Yes, I will read it. Is that... I wasn't so strict with myself about it. I wasn't like, if I don't do every single thing that this book... You know, because it's like week one, week two. Yeah. And I didn't do it in that timeline. If I wanted to keep reading, I kept reading. And if they gave me five assignments for the week and I only did two of them, I was like, all right, well, I'm doing what feels right for me. Oh, I'm not okay. going like, to hold myself. Like, if you don't complete your homework assignment... And fail. Because that defeats the whole purpose of the book, yes. you know? And I'm doing the whole 30 right now, and I feel the <laughs> same way. And I've, I've actually been good, but... You know, if I slip up somewhere, I'm not going to be like, oh, starting over. You didn't do it right. Because what's the point of doing anything, you know? Like, why are you actually doing things? Is it, like, to follow the rules or is it to actually do something for yourself? And if you're fulfilling what you need for yourself, then do it the way you need to do it. Damn. The artist,
1: so I, I got to get, okay, all you, right.
0: Like, go buy it immediately when I, we're Well, done I already there.
1: do, I already journal every morning. So, like, the morning, that's not going to be, that. that's... But, It's good because you are an artist and
0: you are creative and it is important to like check in with that part of yourself and to make sure that you're just like feeding your little artist baby inside. And it's really reassuring just to hear somebody talking to you in that way and hearing experiences that she's... And it's not just about being an actor or being in theater. It's about being a painter or a musician. And I think that the experience of being an artist, there are a lot of things that are the same across the board And I think that, especially in the theater and in New York, we, like, close ourselves in this little cave of, like, we're in this group and nobody understands. But being an artist is being an artist, you know? And being in a big city is being in a big city. I 100% agree with you.
1: I'm very excited about reading this book. It's amazing. The Come Up will be right back after this. Something that I have a hard time reconciling is that a lot of people um, feel as if Broadway and theater in New York is the only way that you can be a quote-unquote success, happy. It's not true.
0: It's not true at all. And I think actually the industry is changing so much to the point that that's not the case anymore. Yes. Yes. Because I think that theater for a really long time was, like, a New York thing. And when tours went out, they were, like, crap. They had, like, flappy panels, and no one was checking up on them, and they didn't care. It was just, like, how cheap can we put this out for? And then suddenly tours were the same caliber of Broadway, and now Broadway is a global industry. I mean, yes. shows open on Broadway knowing that they're not going to make their money back so that they can go around money. the world. Yeah. I mean, King Kong, there you go. They already are opening at this, like on an island in Japan at this new resort. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the show's not doing that well on Broadway, unfortunately. Um, it costs a ridiculous yeah, amount right, of money. Crazy. I think it would have to probably sell out for years to make its money back. And. But they're not thinking of it. they're thinking of the global brand, and it's it's a bigger picture and the companies that are funding these shows, like you know even Disney and Nickelodeon doing SpongeBob like they're not thinking they're putting it on Broadway to make it a Broadway show so that it can go everywhere, yeah, it gives it like the little it's like the verified check right but I think for artists all over it's it's not the case anymore. Because I think theater is becoming more global. I think there are opportunities internationally, which is amazing. New musicals are premiering in other places other than New York and London, which has never happened before, or not that I know of, or that anyone's cared about. Right, And obviously... There's other great cities in the United States to do theater in. I mean, I think it really depends on, like, what you want as an artist because you can live in, like, D.C. or Chicago or Seattle and work and, work and live there and live in that city and work consistently and have a family and a life, and that's that's something. And then, you know, in New York, you're not always in New York. You could be regional. You could be on tour. You could be wherever. I think it's rare that somebody is consistently working in New York as an actor Very or a rare. writer. yeah. But that's what you're signing up for, I think. I think it really matters what you're looking for. And you have to and, know what you're getting into. Yeah, and I think that for a lot of people who are actors or composers or writers, like Broadway is their little verified check. And I is. And I get that. And it does open doors for other things, absolutely. There's no denying. But I don't think it's about that. I don't think it's about being on Broadway or, like, getting the verified check. I think it's about fulfilling yourself and, and being happy and, and working on things that you care about and telling stories that are important to you. And, I mean, like, look at this woman who does um, that off-Broadway show. What the Constitution Means to no, Me. No, 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 at the Snapple Center. No What's idea. it called? Uh, the perfect crime. Oh yeah, she's been doing it for like thirty five years. She owns the theater and she stars in it. And she does it every night. I didn't know that she's the star. Oh yeah, she she stars in it. She's been in it for like thirty five years. She owns the theater. I mean, like, and she's probably happy as hell, right? Like, that's what she wants to do. That's what she's doing. That that I did not know that. Yeah, it's kind of
1: scary, but it's also <laughs> weird. <laughs> um, you know, I mean. I think your perspective on the state of the industry as a whole is is really interesting. And, and it's, you know, just hearing you speak about King Kong and, and SpongeBob and those, it it got me wondering sort of where you're at with how things are, because it has gotten at least in the last, I mean, last year wasn't crazy, but the year before, or no, last Tony season, there was like no original.
0: Yeah, it was crazy. It's funny. I think that the advent of Hamilton is responsible for both the good and the bad of what's happening in the industry right now. Wow. I think that Hamilton is an artistic feat. I saw Hamilton at the public. I knew nothing about it. I was on the edge of my seat. Like, I was with Ross, and I kept, like, hitting him because I was shooketh to my core. I couldn't even handle what I was watching. I, like, will never forget that experience because afterwards I was like you know, fuck every musical that I ever said was my favorite. Hamilton is the best thing I've ever seen because it was. Really? Yeah, it really was. And maybe the energy of being there and it was fresh. I mean, I'm sure it's, I'm sure if I knew nothing and I went again today, I'd have the same experience. But Hamilton is an anomaly because it is the most creative project you can possibly think of. It is it has such an opinion about what it's doing it is innovative on all counts musically choreography staging scenically costumes lighting sound design all the sound design of hamilton right. is astonishing <laughs> um and the way that it was marketed everything about it is creative everything. and innovative and it also is making more money than any show ever has so i think that it's two things you know people are on one side seeing like oh wow this incredible creative project that if you told me the idea that you were doing Alexander Hamilton as a musical, as a hip hop musical with all people of color, I would be like, "What?" I'd be like, "I don't even, I can't even believe that that's an idea." Right. But okay, I'll go see it. But it, it it's so smart because he has Lin has an opinion about what he's saying and about everything that Hamilton did. It has an opinion, which is so important. And I feel like there's not a lot of art that has an opinion. Vice, the movie Vice, has a fucking opinion, and it's so good. But then on the other side, people see how much money you can make, right? And that's changed the game in a lot of ways. Now, like things like StubHub and like people who buy tickets and upsell them are have moved into Broadway territory when they never have before. It's a huge issue that we're dealing with. Interesting. Like Frozen was sold out for like a year. Because people bought all the tickets with bots in three seconds like that, and then they were reselling them for a crazy price, but the theater was not full because people weren't buying them for that price. So that's something that the Broadway League is fighting really hard, and that's happening a lot. And then the other thing is that people just see how much money you can make because the grosses are published every week. There's five companies of Hamilton. You could do the math and figure out probably how much it's making. And there was that fucking New York Times article that literally said how much everyone was making. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what in God's name is happening? Since when do you like share your salary I'm with people? Not, apparently. So I think that that's fucked us because now people are are wanting to make that money and want a piece of that cash cow that they see. So, which is an anomaly. We need to like be very clear. Like that is an anomaly. Yeah, it is an anomaly. But here's how I feel like it's changed. The season after Hamilton, we had Come From Away. We had Dear Evan Hansen. Um, we had Indecent. We had a lot of amazingly creative, artistic, and Come From Away and Dear Evan Hansen have like gotten through and are so successful. Come From Away didn't even win the Tony, and it's still successful. And then the following year, last year. Band's visit was the only thing that, like, was. It's not the only thing that was of worth. That's horrible to say. It was the only thing that felt in that world. It's the only thing that felt original and different and. Wasn't full out commercial. Yeah. I mean, SpongeBob was definitely theatrical. I love SpongeBob. It was really fun, but I just was like, what's the why? What's the point? What are you trying to say? Mm other than this is Spongebob on Broadway and we made it cool and we did crazy things. And they did. And it they was, did. But what was the point of Spongebob? I don't think I left the theater with any sort of important message that like I wanted to take with me. And I, I don't think that the creators had an opinion about what they were doing. Interesting. Which, it makes a big difference to me. So... I don't even remember. What, oh, the state of the theater. Yeah, so, the state of the theater. I think we're in this place where, like, there is a world where people are interested in innovative, creative stories. And I actually think that that world is bigger than than we're even talking about. And Jeffrey Seller and Hal did a, a talk podcast. And they did it in our office, so I was, like, listening through the door. And Jeffrey said something that I thought was so profound and smart, which is that we're spending so much time here on our phones and looking at screens and watching TV and watching the news That like people are yearning for live experiences. Oh, And like being in a theater is just an experience unlike any other. And I think that to take it one step further, which is like my two cents on that, is like not only are they looking for live experiences, but they're looking for live experiences that are real, that they can relate to, that they feel like is a story about them, that they feel like is something that's important to say about what they're experiencing. And that gives me hope. And that's the kind of stuff you want to be working on. Yeah. I mean, Be More Chill has an opinion about what it's doing, and it's talking about real things, and it's connecting with real people, and that's important to me. And all of the other shows that I'm working on are the same way. I mean, it's just hard for me to understand why you would do it if it doesn't have a really important purpose that the audience is going to take away. Like, it can't be for you. It has to be for them, as every person on the team has to be serving
1: the audience and sharing with the audience. Of course, you know, and I I think social media plays into all this too. Yeah. Because now it has, it has to be more than just the experience of being in the theater. Right. It has to get them to the theater. Right.
0: So that's interesting. I think social media is both positive and negative for the industry and our lives, obviously. But I think for the industry, at least in terms of like, for Be More Chill, it has gotten to those young people. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like Be More Chill is popular because of Spotify. Because people were listening to Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen on Spotify, and it said, you may also like Be More Chill. That's how people found it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's how that started, and then it blew up on social media. And now it's really popular, and everyone loves it. That's awesome. But at the same time, I think that something that someone said last night is this person I was with said that he doesn't... He kind of got off Instagram because he was following all these theater people, all these actors and shows, Mm -hmm. and he it was like ruining the magic for him to like see everything backstage and all these antics, and it ruined. Like when he would go to see the show, he already had such an opinion about the people as actors that like he wasn't enjoying it. I was like, write that fucking article, write that fucking article because it's so real, and I think there is such value in privacy and such value in holding your cards. And I feel like we feel so, like, we need to share everything. Yes. Both for self-gratification, also because we feel like it pushes us forward. Right. But I think that there's power in mystery. And I think that people are starting to see that. I mean, like, look at Beyonce. Right. Look at her Instagram. She's mysterious She's mysterious. And we live A-F. for it. And we live for it. Yeah, we do. And I think that there's power in that. And I look at, like, Jareb and Hansen, which was, like, developed under lock and key. Like, they kept a fucking lid on that until they wanted people to know what was happening. Which I think was so powerful. Powerful, and it served them. It served them so
1: much. So I I think that there's power and privacy. I, I think the other side of that coin is that what I find difficult is that the what ends up happening is that the image of what it is to be on Broadway or to work in the theater. Mm -hmm. It's portrayed as something Mm -hmm. that it ultimately is not. It's not. The
0: experience is different for everyone. Every show is different. Every person is different. I just think it gives false expectation, false hope, false perception. And it ruins the magic. I really think it ruins the magic a little bit. Like, I do not want to see you in your dressing room in your costume. I'm sorry for all the people that do that, but I just, I'm like, I don't don't want to see that. that. These producers are, are... raising all this money to put a show together so that people are seeing what's on stage very
1: interesting stage. to hear you speak on this because a lot of actors would feel, would say the opposite that yeah. they feel like they you have can, to you can be a person you can
0: totally be a person and share you know if you want to go on Instagram Live after the show and be like
1: tonight's show was really awesome I felt really connected but I'm like don't be in your costume yeah interesting. So to be like super selective about what when you share and what you share, and well, I think it ruins the magic a little bit. I'm yeah. sorry, I do. I yeah. really do If I see Alphaba speaking
0: to me as green backstage as not Alphaba, but as whoever's playing her,
1: uh, you're not know, you're not as you're, you you the ability to lose yourself in that story when you go see it is much more difficult, yeah, and we already have trouble focusing and nice. trouble escaping into things. I mean, it's very rare for, at least I find now, and I'm sure you would say the same, because we know people in pretty much every single show, Yeah. when, when you go see something, it's very rare that you lose yourself yep. in whatever you're seeing.
0: It's true, but I think that that also has more to do with the shows that we're seeing than the people in the A thousand
1: percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. That, like, there is definitely a big difference. Yeah. And when I do experience it, I'm like, it's, it's like the best.
0: It really is the best. And it's just like, I yearn for it so, so hard. So bad, yeah. I yearn for it so, so hard. And I feel like the last time that I like really had that sort of experience was when I saw Indecent. Oh. I just like, I thought that that, and it, it's so sad to me that wasn't successful. And I feel like I have ideas of how it could have been more successful, but that's whatever. But... I just was like, this is theater. This is what it fucking is. Yes. This is like people on a stage telling a story and gagging us. Gagging us. <laughs> it was just so good. And it was about real things and, and, and had an opinion about bigger things. I mean, and the way that they used movement and music and the set was so minimal. I mean, like little details. It was just stunning. Absolutely stunning.
1: So uh, I guess now the question becomes like, you know, you've so many things – in the works and happening and like (laughs) happening right now. Like it's kind of overwhelming to think of all the things that are like on your plate. Sometimes Um, it is. Yeah. Most of the time. But I guess the question then is like, you know, what are you, what's not what's next, but like in terms of your soul and spirit and like how, what, what are you moving into this next phase of your life? Do you feel like you're entering in a new phase of your life? Absolutely. I do. I really do.
0: And it's a scary one. Because I feel like I'm trying to optimize my momentum here by like having a show on Broadway and that and the fellowship. Like I feel like I have this these pieces of things happening that can help push me forward. But it's like taking that next leap and feeling like I'm capable of optioning a show and getting a show to Broadway. Like that's. that's, Do you feel like
1: you're capable of doing that?
0: I mean, I think I can, but it's scary. Like there's a show that I'm I'm trying to option with Sammy right now. That's going to be going out of town next year, and we want to take it on and enhance the production out of town and and get the rights to bring it to New York. And it's scary because we've never done that before, but it's a project that we feel so passionate about and that we feel close to and that we feel like we understand how to make it look. I feel like we know how to present it. And it's scary and I I, t- I was talking to the writers and I was like, look, if I said I wasn't scared, I'd be lying to you. I am terrified. This is a huge step for me and Sammy, but I I think we can do it and I think we'll do it better than anyone else will do it. And I'm I'm holding to that so hard, so hopefully that will work out. But yeah, I'm just I'm trying to set bigger goals for myself, you know. Two years ago, my goal was just to produce something. I was like, I'm gonna start producing. I need to produce something. And I produced an album with my group and I produced concerts. And then the next year was like, I wanna produce a show. I wanna do a show. And I did Be More Chill. And now I feel like I want to lead produce something and I'm I'm gonna make that happen. I'm just like putting it out
1: there and I'm like, that is happening. So we're working towards that. What's really exciting for me selfishly, is that, like, in 2, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, <laughs> we'll have this. Yes. <laughs> conversation.
0: Yeah, well, you're going to have so many fucking amazing conversations.
1: Do you but, know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it's so cool that, like, we're going to be in our, whatever, 50s and 60s and 70s and, back to this. and be able to be like, oh, my God, what were we thinking
0: that's like the scariest and greatest thing about like where technology is today, right? Like all of our like scary college <laughs> pictures are going to be available for our kids to see on Facebook.
1: I hope not. Everyone start deleting now. Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like you got to start archiving, 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 <laughs> archiving. I know. I wonder. I wonder what will still be around. I wonder. Yeah, I'm like,
0: is there a point where the internet can't hold anymore, or is it just endless?
1: I don't know. I do think. I do think we're we're get, we're approaching a place where people are going to turn. And people are going to start kind of moving away. I don't think it's going to go away. I don't think social is going to go away anytime soon. Right. But I do think that, like, what you were saying, we are craving human, human connected, live, in person experiences. Absolutely. We want it. Like, yeah. And maybe it's a generational thing. And Sam and I were talking about this. Yeah. Like, like maybe it is something that like our ge- that's something unique to our generation, or at least something that happens. I don't know. Maybe it yeah. fades away. But. I, I do think that like we are going to start realizing it's so, – I was listening to something the other day and someone said that our cell phones, I would argue even social media on top of that, are going to be like our generation's like cigarettes. That like oh. we didn't even – in the moment, we Realize didn't even know how, bad it, how bad it was for our brains and what it was doing to us. Yeah. But it it is it is fucking with us.
0: Absolutely. You're probably right. That's a really interesting – Metaphor to make. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to my mom yesterday. I was home with her, and she was just like, It must be so hard to be a teenager today.
1: Can you imagine?
0: Well, it's like we just like graced the surface. Like Instagram oh. wasn't around when we were in high school. Barely it, MySpace. Like it didn't even get popular until we graduated college. So that that's like and now these kids are obsessed. They're obsessed.
1: Well, they're on it more than anything else. Yeah,
0: it's it's not good. It's definitely not good.
1: And eh. I've, but 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 then you look at something like Broadway con which could never have happened yeah never if happened. it weren't for the internet i mean be more chill could never be on broadway if it wasn't for the internet that's a great example
0: i mean the the advertising possibilities and the way that people can share things is amazing but it's just that there are so many people sharing things that shouldn't be shared and unfortunately <laughs> like the greater population of the world like isn't going to use it well. They're going to exploit it and take advantage of the resource. I mean, that's just what happens. It's human
1: nature to be awful like that. <laughs> right. That, yeah. And and I, I also think, you know, we are not um, – our brains are not made to be able to consume all of this information. Like no, it's too not. much.
0: It is too much, which is funny because I'm like sometimes when I'm with Hal – He literally knows everything in the world. He knows the history of the entire world, every country, everything. Really? And his vocabulary, he says at least five words a day that I've never heard of. (laughs) And he remembers everything. He knows all about all the people. He remembers everything. I don't remember what happened yesterday. He has more things in his brain than I do, for sure. But I'm here. And he got it from reading and actually learning and we're getting it from headlines and sound bites, and I don't think that that is a way to learn. It's not. I mean, you can't. And I think that actually, what you're saying is that our brains weren't made to hold this much, which is exactly why we're we've gone
1: to sound bites and headlines because we can't take in the whole thing. We don't no. have space for it. No. But I will say it is exciting to see. And we, we were talking about this on the phone the other day. That like I do think we are at a place, at least in our industry, in the theater industry. They're like the young people. Oh, the young people in this industry
0: are gonna fucking rise. Yo. The young producers who are on the game in the game right now that I know, which are I think I pretty much I'd say like every producer under 35 on Broadway knows each other for the most part. Um, they're amazing and they're artists and I'm just so excited to see, and I I feel like actually it's like a community, like where we should all be in competition with each other. Everyone's like really friendly and helpful, and that's awesome. So I'm and you know the writers and the actors and everyone rising up. But I think it's producing is an issue, and I think there's always been great actors and great writers and great directors and everything. There haven't always been great producers, and I think that it's a really exciting thing that this generation of producers, who I feel like really. Confident in is gonna start rising up soon, and
1: they're rising. Yeah, including yourself, trying right, like one day at a time, one fucking day at a time. And also, you know, and this will be it, and then we'll go. But I, I, this community piece, I can't, I can't hammer in hard enough that like the the, 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 you look at something like Hamilton is a great example. Um, Be more chill is the perfect example of this. But like being able to work with your people, work with your people. Even, like, great comment. Like, you work with your people, yes. and then you come and you do Broadway with your people. Like well, that's that was the best kind of art you're going to make. Like, if
0: I'm a young producer and I'm producing a show, I don't want to feel like the director and the writers are not people that I feel comfortable with to talk to and collaborate with, because how is anything good going to be made that way? Like, if you're not with people that, like, you feel good and you vibe with as cr- collaborators, like, nothing... Even as an actor, you don't want to feel uncomfortable with the director. You want to be able to say what you want to say, whether it's listened to or not. But like that's part of collaboration. And that's actually theater is what I want to do because it is the most collaborative art form there is. And yeah, it really truly is community, 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 work with your people, invest your time in your friends that
1: you believe in and your work will just be better. Amen. Yeah. Um, I have to say, and I think this goes without saying, but I want to say it that like I am incredibly grateful for you, but also like our community. Yeah. Like our little, like, you know, the the band that that this band of uh misfits that misfits. truly misfits that have somehow come together and yeah. like formed this little thing. Like it it is just it is something I do not take for granted. Me neither. Um and I and I I like I, I don't know how, I don't know how we got so lucky. Like I don't, I really don't know. Me neither. Um,
0: I really feel that way all the time.
1: And I, for a long time, I didn't, I didn't have anything even close to that. Mm-hmm. Like since I got out of school, I didn't have anything close to that. And really only in the last like year, year and a half have I felt like, oh my God, like this is, this is the thing. But I just, I'm just very grateful that, that, you know, you, at least as somebody who didn't go to school with you guys and like, doesn't, you know what I mean? It's like yeah. to, to feel like accepted and welcomed and like, it, well, it, I
0: feel like what's so special about our little group is like, we kind of come, you know, it's a little bit from here, a little bit from there. It's like a great little stew.
1: I know, which I always forget that like, not everybody like, yeah, it's all, it we're it's a interesting mix of interesting people. Interesting mix is right. But everybody uplifts each mix. other. It's a hell, <laughs> it's a healthy, healthy, healthy mix.
0: Um, I love you. I love you. This is just the best thing that you're doing and that you're creating a place for people to be vulnerable and talk about their passion and their creativity. Like it's just inspi it goes back to what we said about like be surrounding yourself with people that inspire you. I mean, you've created a space for people to get inspired and somewhere that people can go and and listen to people who are not far out of their reach talking about things that are important and reigniting a flame and I love that you're just you're so passionate about that you're not only passionate about creating but you're passionate about inspiring other people to feel comfortable to do what they want to do and you're selfless that way it's
1: very special I, and pre- rare. I appreciate you saying that no I mean it and it's funny you know selfishly I get to sit down and have right. amazing – You, like, go on cre- and do so much work. Yeah, well. like, I feel like it's, it's, like, I'm, like, I'm the lucky one that I get to sit down and have – and really that's, like, the hack of it all. Right. Is that I get – I have set up this thing that I can, like, be like, oh, yeah, come and talk to me and, like, give me all of your all wisdom. Your and like, yeah, because that's, like, I get to learn. Like, that's no. – I'm learning so much throughout this whole thing. Ugh, that's so cool. And it's – and listen, like, it's so easy to feel, and I'm sure you felt this way, that, like – I want to quit. Like, yeah. I'm like, why? What is the point? What is the purpose? What, mm-hmm. what like for what am I doing this? But then it's like you take a much wider view and you have a perspective right. on the whole thing, and you're like, oh my God. In t- I mean, looking even back at I mean, I haven't even been doing this for a full year now. But to think about being able to look back in however many years and have this like archive of a thing, yeah, that that like I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say, but like the that it as a piece of work it as a as a whole, I will be so proud to have something like that, but right now, the work is do actually doing the thing, yeah, and that's what's hard is it it's easy to get caught up in like, well, I think that. You know,
0: we're just going to keep doing the thing until we can't do it anymore. I mean, that's what I look at Hal and I'm just like, I don't think I'll ever stop working until I fucking die because why would I? I feel like I just want to keep creating and doing as long as I can. And what a great lesson in like not making it.
1: Yeah. Like you never really feel like
0: you've arrived. Arrived. Ever.
1: Ever. I know that both Hal and Steve Sondheim both don't feel that way. That's Crazy. Cause so many people, I think, from an out like again, that outside like perception yeah. of like well they Well we made just it. look
0: at them and we're like bowing down at their feet. And I do, and w- we do because we should. Yeah. And they've changed the fucking game. But they have more to say. It's never it's not done.
1: And and you have much, much, much more to say. Give us more to see. Like, come on, he wrote it down himself. <laughs> he did. Um I love you. I love, I love you. you. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, literally, everyone will have zoned out of this podcast. Like, <laughs> right I don't think <laughs> so. What did we hit? I don't even know how long we've been. I mean, we've been almost. It's like an hour and a half, two hours. I think it'll be. I. 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 I have a feeling. I have a feeling people will be very enthralled because I haven't sat down with anybody. I haven't sat down with, with, with uh, uh, anyone who like produces yet. Oh, that's cool. So I really am hopeful that someone listening will be like, "Oh my god, I didn't yeah. even know that this was something that I could." Oh yeah, well, do definitely. Gonna share
0: it clearly.
1: (laughs) You're like, no, not really for me to share. I never did that. What is he talking about? It wasn't Um, me. Thank you, thank you, thank you you for showing up.
0: And no, I really wanted to be here because it it also like checked me back in with the things that I care about. And being at Urban Campfire the other day with you, I was just like, I want to help inspire people too. I'm like, I want to do what Matt's doing. Like he is. Creating space and creating places for people. I'm like that's what I'm passionate about. So I wanted to do it too. That's why I was
1: like, when are we doing that? And I was like, What well, fucking next weekend, week. let's fucking go. <laughs> exactly. Let's fucking go. Because we're not waiting on that shit. No, oh, like honey. we don't we don't we don't sit around on that stuff. No, we don't. Um, that's all I have. I love you. Me too. I love you too. This was the best. <laughs>